in Mishne Torah Hilchot Teshuvah, and today we do chapter two, which deals with the actual essence of the Teshuvah. This is the most central chapter relating, mostly, mainly um, relating to Teshuvah itself. What is the Teshuvah, the complete, the perfect kind of Teshuvah? It's a person who has the opportunity to do once again something for which he did Teshuvah, and then he stops himself from doing so, he changes his behavior because of the Teshuvah, not because he's afraid of anyone, not because he's lacking the energy or the ability to do so, but rather only because of the Teshuvah. Again, just to recap something we said yesterday, very, very important. Teshuvah is about regaining freedom. The main point of the human condition is attaining freedom of choice, is at Selem Elohim. We started Sefer Hamadah with Ilchot Yisodeh HaTorah, which teaches us the right ideas about reality, about God. In other words, not too much to, in the word of Achamim, to the fire, not too much to the ice, which is to say, not to believe that God is our body, our uh, like our friend, not to believe that God is totally inaccessible, like Aristotelian philosophy, but rather the balance that is Ilchot Yisodeh HaTorah. Then, Ilchot Yisodeh dealt with the balance of behavior. The balance of behavior, the balance of ideology, both are important to create freedom, to permit us to act and to think in a way that we are not biased, we are not conditioned to think one way or the other. Teshuvah is the understanding that choices are not made in a vacuum and every choice I make today is made in the context of all the choices I've made leading to today. And sometimes the choices I've made in the past, bad choices, uh, like Hachamim say, Avera Avera, they have the effect of wiring me in a certain way, of conditioning me to have less freedom to act whatever way I want to act today, subjectively today. And Teshuvah is a mechanism the Torah provides to permit us to regain some of this freedom. So the full Teshuvah, the most perfect Teshuvah, is when freedom is exercised. And the test for that is if you have the same exact set of circumstances, and yet the outcome is different, the only variable here is choice, and that exercise of choice is the full Teshuvah. Ketzad. And I will give an example now. Let's say a person had illicit relationships with a woman, and after a certain time, he was he found himself alone with her. He still likes her and wants her all the same. He still has the same physical strength, virility, ability. Still in the same city. No reputational differences here. And yet he refrains from doing what he had done before because of his teshuvah. This is a person who has achieved full teshuvah. That's what Shalomo says, he advises. Remember God while you're, while you're still young. While you're still young, any choice that you change 
it still is your own. Circumstances in life haven't changed yet. But if the person does teshuva during his elderly, the elderly stage of his life, his olden days, and at a time when he no longer has the ability, the capability to do the things for which he's doing teshuva, although the teshuva is not ideal, it still is effective, and he has achieved teshuva. As we said in the last chapter, the only moment that matters in life is the last moment of your life. So even if a person transgressed his entire life, and then the day before he dies, he does teshuvah, and he dies while he is true to his teshuvah, all of his transgressions are forgiven, because the same uh, the same Kohelet also says, uh, remember God while you're still young, and then it says, remember him before the sun sets, which is a metaphor for the end of life. So, so long as the sun has not set, there still is time to do Teshuvah. Sheuyom Amitat, as a day of death. So from here we infer that if the person remembers his creator, and he does Teshuvah before he dies, he is forgiven. What is this Teshuvah we are talking about? Now, there is a few stages to Teshuvah, and I want you to pay attention to the order here. First step, to leave, to abandon the bad behavior, or the bad uh, habit, or the bad thoughts, like we'll see later. And to stop thinking about it, to stop doing it, to stop wanting it, number two. Number three, to decide to have this commitment not to ever do this again. How do we know that we have to also abandon, go away from thinking about this avon, this transgression? Because the Pasuk says, and the wicked person will leave his ways, his path, and a person who does, um, Aven means bad things, is going to abandon Mahashevotav, is going to abandon his thoughts. So the thoughts are also part of this process. <coughs> and also, as a later stage, the person should be, should regret what he has done. As it is said in Irmiyahu, again from Irmiyahu, we also learn Irmiyahu, Yeshayahu, Yehazkel, all Nevi'im pretty much talk about Teshuvah. And Irmiyahu says, when he's describing a process of Teshuvah, he, say, he says, For after I've returned, Nihamti, I regretted it. And after I've become conscious, I've become cognizant of what I've done, Safakti al I, 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 I hit my, my, my legs as if, as if uh, to signify regret and, and pain and shame for what had happened. So this is key. This is key. The Torah, Halakha, does not want you to lead the Teshuvah, to start the Teshuvah with guilt. Guilt is not a good feeling. Actually, guilt does not bring about 
freedom. The effect of guilt normally is also not to change behavior. Guilt is a defense mechanism that we have in order to reconcile what we do with the image we have of ourselves. So we think we are 10, and yet we see our behavior being seven. So what do we tell ourselves? Oh no, this thing that we have done, this is not right. I'm so sorry that I did it, but I really am a 10. I'm not a seven. So the way to reconcile the 10 with a seven is guilt. It's not part of Teshuvah. In fact, the regret over the actions has to come after after the behavioral change, after the behavioral decision. This is why the Pasuk says, Ki after following my having done Teshuvah, is that I regret it. And that is key, that's what Harambam is saying here. And God is the one, the one who knows what's hidden in the hearts of men. He's the one who needs to testify that the commitment is true, that the commitment is forever. As it is said, Let us never say again, Elohenu, <coughs> you are our God, to the handiwork of our, of our own making, in other words, to, to statues and to other idols, and you are the one who is going to mercy someone who has no who has no tradition, who has no fathers. In other words, uh, the, the, the Pasuk here is saying, although our parents did certain things, you, God, will accept us as orphans. We are breaking away from their bad deeds, but you are going to accept us. And there is an intimation here that God is the one who is to whom we are saying, will never ever do this again. It's not a commitment that we do to our friend. It's not even a commitment to ourselves. It's mostly a commitment to God, and He's the one who needs to testify that it's sincere. However, although the commitment is to God, the verbalization, the, the acknowledgement of what we've done, the vidui, needs to be with our lips in a way that we hear it. The vidui is for us, in a way. The commitment is for God. And one needs to verbally express, to utter those things that were resolved inside the heart. He who does vidui, he expresses, he utters everything with words, without having in his heart committed, decided, to abandon, to change those ways, those paths, it's as if someone is tameh and the tum'ah, the impurity, is resolved in halakha by going, by immersing oneself in a body of water with certain characteristics, with a mikveh. But at the same time that he's doing that, that he's immersing himself, he's still holding a sheret, he's still holding a, let's say, a dead rat, which is impure under halakha, which constantly is making him, is rendering him tameh. So he's not doing anything really. He thinks that the water are doing something while the source of the Tum'ah is still with him. The immersion would never be effective until the person lets go of this dead animal. 
וכן הוא אומר, ומודה ועוזב ירוחם, and that's what Mishle says, and the person who acknowledges, who does vidui, ועוזב, and also abandons his behavior, is the one who is going to be, to be accepted, to be loved, ירוחם. וצריך לפרוט את החטא. One more requirement of תשובה, the person must specify that which he's doing תשובה from. שנאמר, ענה חטא העם הזה חטאה גדולה ויעשו להם אלוהי זהב. We learned this from משה רבנו when he was doing תשובה on behalf of עם ישראל for חטא העבל for the golden calf. He said, please God, these people have done a tremendous, a very bad transgression, a very bad mistake. And they made to themselves a god of, of gold. So he specified exactly what had happened. It's not enough to say, God, I've done wrong things. Please forgive me. And this question comes up um, invariably every time I teach this, which is pretty much yearly. How can I possibly know all the things that I've done wrong? And the answer, as, uh, as uh, harsh as it might sound, is, well, if you don't know what you're doing teshuvah from, then you're not doing teshuvah really from that thing. So if you, do, if you want to do teshuvah from A, you have to specify what A is. If you want a blanket style teshuvah, that's not what, uh, what this is. It's obviously good to always have this blanket style teshuvah and generally improve your ways, that's always desirable. But we're talking about here, we're talking about teshuvah, we're talking about, in a way, erasing a specific portion of past actions. And the way to do that is this process where you also have to be specific about that which you want to do Teshuvah from. מדרכי התשובה להיות השב סורק תמיד לפני השם בבחי ובתחנונים ועושה צדקה כפי כוחו ומתרחק הרבה מן הדבר שחטא בו. There is a few things, a few elements that are common, a few behaviors, a few habits that are found or are desirable in someone who is doing Teshuvah. And one is to constantly seek, beseech God, uh, imploring and, and crying and doing tzedakah as much as possible, giving charity as much as possible, and getting as far away as possible from that which one is doing teshuvah. So let's say I used to eat at McDonald's. I'm going to make sure not to enter McDonald's even to buy a cup of Coke. <coughs> Also, sometimes people might find it helpful to change their name. As if to say, As if to imply, I am changing so much that I no longer want to be that person who used to say those things, who used to do those things, so I'm changing my name. It's also praiseworthy to, to change generally all behaviors and try to improve generally to the better. And to leave the place where one lives and go live somewhere else. Because this kind of journey, this kind of change has the effect of achieving kapara as well. Again, think of the psychology of this. This all helps the person to, to feel like they are paying their debt to society or to God or to themselves. Because changing a place, changing your community, changing the place where you live, means that you are starting 
uh, your, rep your reputation from scratch and uh, in you know by 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 definition in conse consequently a person will be more humble and will start from from zero ושבח גדול לשווא שהתוודה ברבים ויודיע בשעב להם ומגלה עבירות שבינו ובין חברו לאחרים ואומר להם אמנם חטאתי לפלומים ועשיתי לו כך וכחברני היום שב וניחם and it's praiseworthy it is it is uh, desirable for a person who does teshuva to acknowledge to admit publicly the things that he has done to his friends if he has done something to his friend and to recognize to admit to acknowledge publicly everyone i want to admit i want to confess that i've been really bad and i've done this and this to so and so and now i want to to let everyone know i'm sorry for what i've done and i'm changing my ways what i've done was wrong and whoever holds to his pride and does not admit these things publicly but rather tries to hide those things he's done in order to to cover to protect his reputation and the shuvah togemura then his teshuvah also is not going to be complete the beginning part of the pasuk we cited before in mishle says the one who covers his uh, who hides his transgressions is not going to be successful when are we saying that it's praiseworthy and it's good to <coughs> to publicize one's bad deeds on transgressions that are between among men one man to another but things that were done privately and transgressions only toward God those things that have been done in private and they are only offenses to God and not to a fellow man then those things should not be publicized and actually it's uh, if you think about that publicizing that also means a little bit of Hilul Hashem it's also publicizing the fact that God's precepts were not important enough for me to adjust my behavior accordingly rather it's to be only before God and before God one is going to specify exactly what he's done and if one wants to admit to those things publicly he should do so but generally he should say I've done many wrong things without specifying what those things are and it's actually better if it's not known what he has done specifically like the Hilim says, uh, fortunate is the one, happy is the one who has his pesha, who has his his, uh, his uh, transgression, his evil doing um, hidden, and the one whose mistakes are not known. Now we are going to talk about a certain time in the year that is more that is more appropriate than other times for teshuvah. Although and, uh, and, and begging God for forgiveness is always good, the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippurim, it's particularly acceptable and particularly praiseworthy and desirable. 
ומיד היא מתקבלת, and it has the effect of being accepted immediately. אז הוא הסתד בפור, יום הכיפורים is going to render תשובה אפקטיב. שנאמר, דירשו אדוני בהם מסעו כראו ביותו קרוב. ישעיהו encourages us to seek God the moments when he's around, when he's nearby, which is to say, when in Rosh Hashanah we, we made it evident to ourselves how close God's supervision is to us, and then Yom Kippur, when he, Borei Olam himself, we believe, Ki Vayom Azei Chaper Alechem, he makes the Kapara effective, so those days is when he's nearest, and we should take advantage of that. When are we saying that? This is in the private, personal teshuvah. But with respect to a community, a group of people, it doesn't matter when, whenever in the year the tzibur, this community, the public does teshuvah, immediately they are uh, responded. Borei Olam addresses the teshuvah right away. As it is said in the Pasuk, Moshe Rabbeinu tells Am Yisrael, who is like our God, who is always near to us when we call to him. So what does it mean? Is God always near or is he only near in Aseret Yimet Shuvah? So Aseret Yimet Shuvah is for the individual, but for the public, like Moshe Rabbeinu was referring to, it's constantly. Yom HaKippurim uzman Teshuvah lakol layachid al-Rabim. Yom HaKippurim is a day of Teshuvah for everyone, plural and singular. And it's the, 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 the day in which Mehila, uh, forgiveness and Sliha and, uh, and uh, the erasing of the, of, of the Avonot, of the transgressions is achieved for Israel. That's why all of us uh, do in Yom Kippurim Teshuvah and we say Vidui. Misvat Vidui Yom Kippurim Sheyatkhin Melev Ayom Kodem Sheyokhal and the vidui of Yom HaKippurim actually begins before Yom HaKippurim, during the day, before one eats, before starting the fast. Lest the person, during that meal that begins, before beginning the fast, uh, somehow uh, chokes and dies, and will not, will not have the opportunity to, to do Teshuvah. And therefore, we want that vidui to happen before. Of course, Hachamim were not thinking that this is something so common and so likely to happen <clears throat> that we should have halachot specifically addressing it. But think of the effect, the psychological effect it has if I do vidui before eating, thinking or remem- remembering that my life is so fragile and there is no guarantees they'll be alive in Yom Kippurim. And even if the person does vidui before eating, he must still do vidui at night on Yom Kippurim during Arvit. And then again in the morning prayer, the mid-morning prayer, the prayer of the afternoon, the last prayer of Yom Kippur. Where do we do that? The person, when he's praying his own tefillah, what we call uh, after the, the Amidah, and the Hazan, in the middle of the tefillah, 
in the middle of the fourth and this is exactly what we do in all communities uh, nowadays uh, as well this vidui that everyone is used to, uh, which and everyone is so used to that Haraman didn't even bother writing it down, and we still have it. and so on and so forth. Sorry, so that's the, that's the main, that's the essence of the vidui. Of course, it can be expanded. This implication here. Any transgressions that were confessed on one Yom Kippurim, uh, the next Yom Kippurim, next year, a person must again confess those same things. It's not a, a, uh, it's not a matter of saying it once and forgetting about it. Teshuvah is a constant. Teshuvah is something, it's a commitment that should last a lifetime. And so too, the confession of what the situation was before Teshuvah should also ideally last a lifetime. Even though the behavior hasn't come back to, hasn't reverted back to the bad ways, the vidui still needs to be said. As it is said, uh, David Amelech says, I know. I know my 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 transgressions and my mistake is always in front of me. Uh, that's something that we should know. We should remember all of our errors, all of our mistakes, so we don't go back and do them. And if you think of the word kapara, to cover, think of it also as a band-aid. It's not that the avera is ever fully erased. It's impossible to erase the fact, the past. But it is possible to put something to cover it somehow so that it doesn't impede our choices in the future. That is Teshuvah. And we have to reapply that band-aid constantly, at least once a year in Yom Kippurim, by doing the Vidui. Only have the effect of achieving Kapara for mitzvot that for avedot for transgressions offenses against god and only god like for example someone who ate something forbidden or someone who had an illicit sexual relation but transgressions that are uh, that are between between a man and, and his fellow man like if someone uh, physically harmed his friend, or someone who insulted his friend, or goes law, or stole money from him, or possessions from him, and of the like. It's, uh, it's impossible to achieve forgiveness until whatever harm was caused upon my fellow man is also repaired, uh, repaired and, and the friend is uh, also forgives so there is two elements here let's say i steal money from from uh, john smith i have to both return the money and i also have to restore my relationship with him so if he's aware of what i've done and he's hurt he has some kind of uh, grudge in his heart it's my responsibility to make him forgive me 
אף על פי שהחזיר לממון שהוא חייב לו, צריך לרצות ולשאול ממנו שימחול לו. Even if when I return the money that I owe, I still have to, to, uh, to, to have him forgive me and to cure that, that grudge that he has inside his heart. אפילו לא הקנית את חברו לה בדברים, even if what was done had no economic detriment and it was only, let's say, um, offending with words, צריך לפייסו ולפגוע בו שימחול לו, I still have to restore this relationship and try to, to have his forgiveness until he forgives. Why am I saying that uh, we have to restore the relationship? Because just like it's not desirable to publicize Uh, things that we've done that nobody knows about, things that we've done towards God. Uh, let's say I, I ate pork and no one, no one knows about it. I should just tell this to God and to nobody else because publicizing it is offensive. It's, it's a negative thing to, for people to know that I, I ate pork. So too, I believe if someone does something to his friend and his friend is not aware of it, he wasn't harmed anyway, Uh, let's say I have, uh, I suspect my friend of stealing. Suspecting my friend is not something good to do. And, but he doesn't know about this. I don't think I'm doing any favors to anyone by going to him and, and telling him, you know, up until yesterday, I thought you were a thief. Um, so I think that only if it's broken, fix it. If it's not broken, According to the way I'm reading Harambam, one needs not fix because you are breaking by trying to fix. If a person, if my friend does not want to forgive me, I have to bring three of his friends and, and with them try to convince him to forgive me. And if they... If uh, they, these three friends, are not successful in having him agree to forgive, I have to bring a second time three, a group of three friends, and then a third time a three group of his friends. Loratza, if by the third time nine people have come so far he, and he wasn't willing to forgive, I've fulfilled my responsibility of trying to achieve his forgiveness. And in fact, the one who was unwilling to forgive, he's the one now who is on the wrong. However, if this was my teacher, my rabbi, then this, uh, this uh, three groups, the threshold of three doesn't apply, and the responsibility is to come as many times as, need, as needed until he actually forgives. It's forbidden for a person to be cruel and not to forgive. Rather, like Pirkei Avot say, a person should be very easy to forgive and very difficult to upset. And the moment that someone comes and asks for forgiveness, one must be able to forgive wholeheartedly and, and, and happily. Even if the offenses against the person were many, remember that one must not take revenge nor hold a grudge. And this is characteristic of the Jewish people. And this is the right approach 
that uh, the Jewish people always had. We always were known to be very forgiving. But other nations, the ones who don't have, who are, who are, I'm going to translate literally because it's a very nice expression, the ones whose heart is uncircumcised, in other words, the ones whose heart is, is, uh, is very thick-skinned, they are not like that. Rather, their anger is kept forever. And so too, it is said about the Giv'onim. The Giv'onim, just to give you some background, were a people who had at first tricked Yehoshua. Yehoshua bin Nun, when he came to Eres Israel, he offered everyone a peace treaty. Nobody agreed. But then the Giv'onim had second thoughts. They saw how Yehoshua was being successful and conquering all the nations around. So they decided to lie to him. They, they came, they pretended that they were coming from a very faraway land from outside Israel. And then they offered a treaty, an alliance with Yeshua. Yeshua agreed. And then he found out that they were from the neighboring city, the one that was next on the agenda to conquer. But Yeshua still honored that treaty, that alliance. But because he had tricked us, Yeshua made them sort of like second-class citizens, and they remained that way through the time of David. Now, the, the time of Shaul, Shaul HaMelech mistreated them uh, tremendously, and the Gibonim held a very big grudge against Shaul. And in the times of David HaMelech, the next king, uh, something bad happened in Am Israel. David HaMelech uh, was told by prophecy that this was on account of the Gibonim and what Shaul had done to them. So he went and asked them, what can we do to you? And they said, we want to kill all the children of Shaul. So this shows what a grudge they had and how they were unwilling to forgive. Because the Gibonim did not forgive and did not, and, and did not agree to, to, uh, to reconcile, it says they have Gibonim, and this Gibonim, right after it says what they had asked for, which was to kill all the children of Shaul, it says, and the Gibonim, Lomi Bene Israel Hemma, they were not part of Am Israel, evidently because they did not show this, uh, this sense of forgiveness and of, of being willing to let go. What happens if a person transgresses, offends his friend, and then his friend passes away before he's, before he's able to ask forgiveness from him? So he needs to bring 10 people and, and uh, make them stand next to his friend's grave. And he says before them, I've sinned, I've done something wrong before God. And also, this was an offense to this person, the one who is buried here, and this is exactly what I've done to him. If he owed him any money, let's say if he stole money, tricked him, he cheated him in business, he should return this money to this person's heirs. If there was no identifiable heir, he should leave this money apart in trust with the court, and then do the vidui. And with this, we finish chapter two. 
chapter three tomorrow is going to be a very uh, interesting and difficult to understand chapter, very esoteric. Presumably, it's how God calculates our mitzvot and averot, but if you join us, you'll see it's not, uh, it's not everything, it's not only what meets the eye.